Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Sponsored by Dext. Hello, Rob Brown here for the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network. And on the Success in Accounting podcast, this is our flagship show goes out every Monday. We are doing a series of panels with prominent and influential women leaders in the accounting and fintech world. There is a lot going on at the moment. We have four uh, very prominent guests with us. I'm just going to get them to introduce themselves in a moment as we embrace a range of subjects around leadership and diversity and culture and inclusion and what it takes to succeed in today's challenging world. So without further ado, let's get diving in. And Deanna, can I ask you to just do a quick intro first and then we'll go around the room? Certainly. Uh, I'm Deanna Salo. I'm managing principal here at Craig Heiser in Chicago, Chicago suburbs. We're in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, and we have about a 50 person firm, six uh, shareholders. And I take the lead certainly as the managing partner, but my specialties range in assurance and tax and M&A work as well. Um, I grew up at the firm. I've been here for 35 years. I was the first female partner of the firm and have been uh, blessed to introduce a few more female partners to our, to our ownership team. And um, our firm's complexion is, is about 54% women, and we've got about 56% ownership of women in our firm. So the diversity thing is a very near and dear thing to my heart, providing opportunities for everyone um, within the organization. And uh, making uh, public accounting still a very cool place to work um, and trying to continue to bring more people to the fold. So thanks for having me today. We love that. And I appreciate the statistics. It seems that 53% of accountants are women, uh, judging by the research, but women are chronically underrepresented in leadership roles. Uh, In fintech, 20% of leaders are female. In accounting firms, it's down as low as 11, 12, 13%, depending on what you define as a leadership role. So Yes, there are things going on here, and we'll address some of them. Maureen, good to have you with us. A quick intro from you, please. Sure. I'm Maureen Delmore. I'm the Executive Director for the North America region um, for the association Prime Global. Prime Global is the third largest association uh, worldwide, and we have about 63 firms in our North America region. Um, That does include 14 firms in the top 100, which is more firms in the top 100 than any other association or network, which is fantastic for that group. But we also have a varying range of size. So we are really good fit for a lot of different sized firms. Um, We recently won the Accounting Association um, of the Year Award for 2022. So that was exciting. And I'm just really pleased to be here. Thanks, Rob. Wonderful. And uh, I was... uh... I've been a judge on those awards in the past, Maureen, and uh, it, it's great that you are. And I think Russell Bedford will win us this year as well, Deanna. Let's shout that out as well. Maybe HLB, where Caroline, you're representing HLB, but Beaver and Struthers too. Tell us a little bit about your firm and your role. Thank you. So, so my name is Caroline Monk. I'm one of two executive partners in, um, in the Manchester-based firm Beaver and Struthers. Um, my other executive partner is, a, is another female, Maria Hallows. So, so that's a great start to today's talk, I think. Um, I've been with Beaver and Struthers um, 20 years now. Um, it doesn't feel like anything like that. Um, we, we are, as I say, a, a UK-based firm. Our headquarters are in Manchester, but we do have a presence in London and Birmingham and Lancashire too. And as Rob said, we are members of HLB International. And, um, and I'm sure my colleagues at HLB would be very um, upset if I didn't mention that, that we did win award, an award as well earlier this year, the, um, the Network of the Year award so um so we can all all be very proud of ourselves but i think actually seriously there's a lot there's a lot in that isn't there because it's these these um networks these associations are are really quite 
important in, in how we go about doing business and, and working with each other and sharing experiences. So the, there's an awful lot within that to be proud. Lovely to have you with us. And Lisa, here you are representing Cresting Global. You're very on brand. So a quick introduction from you and then we'll properly get started. So my name's Lisa Robbins. I'm the chief executive of Creston Global, which is indeed um, a global accounting network. We're a top 15 network. Um, and I am one of uh, four female leaders in approximately 50 global networks. So, but I'm delighted to be on the panel. Thank you. We are in very challenging terms. There's a lovely phrase called VUCA. You probably have come across it. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And it's a time when best practice goes out of the window. It's a time when what worked yesterday doesn't necessarily work today. We are becoming more woke, more sensitive, more accepting, more inclusive. And the way things used to run, uh, let's call it out as a stale, white, male and pale profession. Times are a change and you are strong, prominent, influential female leaders. So let's kick off by asking you, and Maureen, I'll start with you on this one. What do you feel are the key priorities for today's leaders in the accounting profession? Perhaps where diversity and inclusion fits into that? Yeah, um, I, I would say right now people have to be, leaders have to be extremely flexible and adept. Um, it's just super important as you're looking to bring in a more diverse workforce. Um, I think once we kind of get to the question about what, what the challenges are, people are going to be talking about human capital um, and why people are leaving the profession or not joining the profession. So um, the leaders at our firms really have to be thinking about how they can make um, the career accounting, um, the accounting career path be more appealing to more people. Um, and a lot of that will deal with with flexibility and being able to adapt to different kinds of schedules. And Callan, that's a good point, isn't it? We hear of people not coming into the accounting profession, a leaching of talent out to industry and commerce of professional accountants, the great resignation. So what are the key challenges for leadership for you and where does diversity rank in those? Diversity, I think, I think what we've got to achieve with diversity is it not being a, a how do we fit diversity into this? Because actually it's just in full stop. And that's that's sort of where my mindset is and I think I think for me um the, the key priority for the for us as a leadership is is kind of accepting the point that we, we're custodians of our firm um and and it's all about leg legacy it's about it's about leaving the firm in a better place than we than we picked it up in and that's not pointing a criticism at, at those who went before it's just about wanting always to be to be better and, and to do better and, and how the definition of better, what what, def, what better means might evolve reflecting current environment and circumstances. But that's that's really what I see as my my sort of what our our priority and what we're doing is is that feeling of custodianship. And that's why your your point you make very well, Rob, is about the pressures of making the profession attractive. I think Maureen Maureen mentioned it too. And and that's that's fundamental, isn't it? Um is is us creating an environment where where people want to come and work um, and want to spend their lives and want to enjoy so that's that's really what we're trying to do and I think I think just the one other thing you know in, in diversity um, we've got it, it has to be at the forefront of everything and and, and there's there's um, an Einstein quote someone gave to me which I won't quote properly because I'll, I'll get it wrong but it's basically saying that we can't solve our problems today with the same thoughts that we use to create them and that's what we need to do is create an environment where 
where people are, are allowed to think differently and even more importantly, feel comfortable to say what they think that's different. So that's that's where my focus is. And Diana, we shouldn't really be talking about diversity. It should be just happening, shouldn't it? But it doesn't seem so long ago that women were not allowed to play golf or play cricket or play soccer, or all kinds of things. Definitely not make partner or definitely be on the board. But we're in a different world now, aren't we? Indeed. And, and I was going to be echoing, you know, I guess one of the first things that came to mind with this question and Maureen already kind of coined it is, is really the flexibility piece. I, I think the key priorities are to stay flexible amidst a very accelerated pace of change. Now, how do we do that? You know, where everyone wants to stay ahead of the change and there's pressure to stay ahead. Keen pressure, you know, be the best, be the brightest, be the boldest, be the most attractive. Um, but it also can be a quick knee-jerk reaction to change without being very thoughtful and being very strategic. And I think um, staying true to our firm's DNA as we grow is key. Um, our firm turned 50 years um, this year. So as was being you know, just brought up by Caroline, it's important that you remember the legacy of where you came from, right? And as I mentioned in my opening remarks, I was the first female partner and they never thought anybody could be a partner who was a woman, not because of a woman, but just because the partners knew there were so many tugs that a woman has in terms of her family life, in terms of her home life, in terms of her, her community, and, and how could that happen? And so I think over the years, as they were fairly inflexible, because they just didn't know how to do it, now the diversity and the flexibility is embedded in what we do. Um, I, gave the, I gave the statistics of a roster before. But it's further defined by the experience of the staff. And so you can talk about diversity in terms of the, the, the people, but what is their experience? And I think we need to think broader in public accounting in terms of what kind of folks are in alignment with who we are, our DNA, our core values. We're a, we're a um, I would say we're a teaching hospital here at Craig Kaiser. We teach up and train up remarkably well. And so we can take people from a variety of industries wherever they came from. And I think it enhances our clients' experience to have people who did work in private industry, who did maybe work at a financial institution, who did work for a hedge fund, who did work for a wide variety of financial uh, backgrounds and come to work for a CPA firm to advise our clients on a, on a whole host of things and yes, get them indeed trained up. And this comes from whatever um, uh, background you might have, but I think our industry in order to attract more to stay ahead of the change if we can, and to stay flexible is not only opening up our minds to the flexibility of the workforce and the flexibility of the needs of our staff, um, but also to the experiences that they can provide our firm in enhancing our services and becoming the true advisors that I think we've always been and less the compliance piece. But so flexibility, diverse backgrounds, training them up and really, you know, kind of opening up the box of all the different opportunities that can come from that if we start, if we continue and or start thinking like that more. Lisa, for you, what does diversity rate on the priorities of leaders today? Well, it's extremely high, but I, I don't see it in isolation at all. And I, and I don't see our profession in isolation. I mean, we represent a wonderful profession, but we're not on an island. And I think that's the whole point of all leaders today whether you're in the accounting profession, legal profession, whether you're in some of our clients. I think a lot of um, organizations are realizing, and that's the whole drive for things like purpose. I mean, we're, we're really ahead, you know, very, very committed to our own purpose is that all these organizations exist in something called society. We're not part, we're not, not part of it. Um, you're, you're in your day, you're, you're, you may have another role 
with regard to your family, your friends, or your your community, that that is who you are. Um, it, it doesn't you're not divided because you're also in accounting. And I think the whole point is all these organisations are are looking at much wider society issues, part because they are part of it, partly because they are serving it, whether it be their clients or, or their staff, or or being. Um, and those issues include things like uh, climate change. They include things like mental health. They include things like diversity and inclusion. None of these exist on their own. This is the whole storyboard that we are all working with and I think now although you know we're going to discuss the challenges of it I think genuinely people are delighted to be working with these issues because actually they mean stuff for us as people um so I think it's incredibly high um and and I think having um you know uh, resolving would be too big a word but 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 making some some um, headway in the whole diversity inclusion will help us all build sustainable businesses so Terribly important, Rob. Sure. And the terms are ever-changing. Recently, I heard that it's the DEIA agenda with adding accessibility onto that. And then another person added the J on the end, which is justice. So these terms are evolving all the time. What we do know is that firms that want to stay relevant and competitive need to stay representative of their client base. Now, how many more women are coming into business now? How many younger people are starting businesses now? The average age of an entrepreneur, at least here in the UK, has dropped to 30, whereas it used to be a lot older. And so you could have more senior people in a firm representing that and talking peer to peer, if you like. So lots of changes going on. I'd love to dip into your career paths and what formed you as a leader. And Caroline, I'll start with you on this one. Talk to us a little bit about your journey to the top and how it's affected your own style of leading. Oh, great. Well, um, I think mine is probably not very conventional, but then maybe we're all not conventional in our, in our own um, own ways. There is no one size fits all anymore. I well, there definitely isn't. So, so I started my life as a musician, actually. So I I, I went to to music college and um, and had aspirations of being a, a professional violinist, um, and, and and did some some sort of ground level work in, in that that range, and then for various reasons. Um, decided that wasn't wasn't where my future was. So I have to confess, and I do so readily, that I just fell into accountancy, um, mainly because at that time, I'm talking about 30 years ago, the big recruiters of, of graduates were law firms and accountancy firms, and I had an A-level in maths. So it seemed that, that accountancy was the one to go to. And, and I'm afraid my research went no further than that. Um, and, and much to the shock of all my, my sort of peer group network, family who, who none of them have been in such an environment I, I found I really enjoyed it um the and accidental the reason, accountant really I, totally <laughs> and the reason I enjoyed it I think is just well is a because I'm, I'm nosy and beyond curious maybe the two sides of the same coin but it was just it, you know people's perception was how can you be happy just looking at numbers all day and it's like I'm not I'm talking to people I'm I'm, I'm, I'm walking into businesses I'm, I'm I'm getting an insight into all these fascinating things and and did you know that that plastic coating on that air dryer that comes through this process or something and I just loved it um but I'm afraid I never really had much of a career plan in as such I just I just kept kept wanting to know what the next thing could be and, and what what next can I do and, and so I so yeah the accidental accountant is probably probably right that doesn't mean I'm not ambitious because because I think that would be being untrue to myself to say it and I don't think that anyone takes a position of leadership if you haven't got some sort of ambition but but I've just I've just kind of taken the each, each step as, it, as it's come along um, and I suppose within that um, because I've, I've managed to sort of merge a bit of motherhood 
in, into that as well. So I have three children along the way, and I was a bit of an accidental mother as well, but that's a different story. Um, but um, again, I didn't have a plan for how I would, would manage motherhood and working. Um, and it just it just evolves. And, and, and hopefully it's not been too unsuccessful because the business isn't broken and the three children are showing signs of being um, capable and able to, um, to step out on their own. They're not quite there yet, but, you know, they're, they're, they're getting there. Um, but I think I think sometimes sometimes we strive for perfection, and perhaps as as a group we we maybe strive more for perfection than than others. And, and I know when I when I sort of first had my first child, um, someone very very influential to me sort of said, "Don't don't try and be perfect, just try and be good enough." And I think I think that's probably good advice for for most things in life. Is 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 yes, we like to strive to be perfection, but we sometimes have to accept good enough and, and take the compromises to get the bigger picture done. And there is a lesson in leadership there, Caroline, in that uh, if you portray yourself as the perfect leader, you're going to fall, aren't you? Because all of us are flawed in one way or another. None of us are. And 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 perhaps, and we might talk later, but but part of, of the attribute of being a leader, I think, is being transparent and open. And, and when you get it wrong, hold your hands up. I got that one wrong. How do we sort it out, guys? What do we do about it? Because you're never going to be right all the time. And Lisa, it sounds like Caroline was fueled by some ambition, but not really much of a plan. Was your route to the top a lot more intentional? Absolutely not. <laughs> I thought Caroline seemed positively organised compared to me. <laughs> That's never been a word used to me. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't really. Um, I think I was... Um, I think I was rather lucky, to, to be honest, and I have to say it was luck more than judgment. My first ever job was with a British entrepreneur, a very well-known British entrepreneur. And I think that was very lucky for me because he didn't he didn't care about anything except whether you could deliver some results. He, he didn't care if you're male, female, where you were from, what you really, he had no interest at all. He was utterly um, agnostic about all of it. So um, it actually was quite a male environment at the time. That was because it was in the sort of computing and accounting world. But, um, but anyway, um, he just cared if you delivered. So, and that was a very good experience for me because I was a very green graduate. I didn't know anything about business and all, I just wanted to learn a lot about business. And some of my colleagues may have had different views, but his view was if you could deliver, you were in. And that really, I suddenly realized I love the world of work. I, you know, I, I suddenly realized in six months I was in love with business and I how it worked and I wanted to learn more. And so, and because I had delivered, um, I, I thought that was the key. Um, now, amazingly enough, apparently it is. <laughs> but um, and but but I think because I saw that, that that just drove me to carry on. Um, and that's what I've always focused on. I'm gonna pick up on that look word a little bit later because I'm I'm gonna just throw the odd question out there if any of you want to pick it up in a few moments about. Men often feel if they get a position, they deserved it. Or if a role comes up, they think, I can do that. Whereas women often second guess themselves. This is what I've been told. Or they think they got lucky to get a role rather than the fact that they were good enough. So we will revisit that as a concept. Maureen, talk to us a little bit about your, your career journey and how it shaped your style of leadership. Well, if you would have told me uh, 15, 20 years ago that I would be sitting on a women in accounting uh, panel, I would have absolutely asked what you were smoking. Um, but I started my career as a zookeeper, actually. So I spent um, the first, I guess, probably uh, six years of my career um, as a zookeeper working in Kansas City. Um, and I kind of decided that wasn't the career path for me. So I shifted into um, a different kind, a little bit more corporate. I worked for Jane Goodall and her organization for a little bit. Um, and then I just happened to bump into 
I don't know, in your early 20s, uh, when you're or late 20s, when the, the women's line at the bar bathroom can really be a connector. And that is where I met um, the young lady who was leaving the job that I ended up taking um, with DFK, which was the first association I worked for for nearly 13 years. And, you know, she was going to grad school to move on to something else. And we started talking and that that's how we met. And I actually think that that experience really um, has shaped my leadership style or success in my career, because I came in knowing nothing about accounting. And over the past 13 years, I've learned some through osmosis, I suppose. Um, but what it, it is so relationship driven. And I think that's what so many people don't realize. Um, when I say I work for accountants, they're like, oh, you know, that sounds super fun. Um, but it really is about the people. And that was one thing I was able to do. You know, I, I got my first step into this career because of somebody I met and the relationship I formed. And I think any success I've had from that point on has been driven by the fact that I genuinely want to connect and care about the members in my association, help them find the best fits for their clients, for, for their needs, for their development. Um, so really that's what it's all been about for me is that relationship building and, and just um, authenticity because I, I have to care about my members and I, I do. So A moderator's comment on that is that panels I've done like this, the leadership style of men tends to be, and I'm generalizing, uh, testosterone, arrogance, power, and driven that way. Whereas women's style of leadership is a little bit more consensus-driven, relationship-driven, empathetic in its approach. And in some circumstances, one trumps the other in getting stuff done. But there are many different kinds of leaders. If we're to write Diana's career path, I would guess at 15, you wanted to be an accountant, and it just went in a linear path from there, Diana. Is that right? Did you read my bio or something? Because I, I am that, um, I mean, you know, it's interesting all these years later when I meet people, they're like, you're so not an accountant. And I go, well, what do you mean by that? I am the nerdy numbers gal. I literally, I was framed in high school. We had a bookkeeping class all those years ago. You got to keep a business checkbook and the, and the teacher was teaching us on how to keep a checkbook. It was like a good financial class for students to be good stewards of their own, but it really was, it was a business checkbook. And I thought, and I did well in math and I had good scores in math, but it was just like, these numbers had meaning. They meant something to somebody. And from there, literally, when I started applying to colleges, I'm like, I'm going to be an accountant. So it was in my 16 and 17 and 18 year old timeline that my dad, first of all, I come from a very large Italian family. There's four girls and one boy in my family from a, from a sibling perspective. And my dad, first generation Italian here, my dad was literally born on the boat from Italy. Okay. He taught us women that we have the rights, that we are awesome, that we are leaders. So we are all part of our environment and whether sometimes that environment happens later in our life or happens, you know, there, we meet a lot of people who don't get that enriching. You can do anything. You can be anything. My dad taught me how to golf. And he says, if you're going to play a man's game, literally from my father, you better keep up on the golf game. So those are just some asides as, you know, we're all part of product of our environment. So whether you get it a lot when you're younger or you get more of it when, you know, later in life, all of those experiences kind of frame who we are. So fast forward, went to this, went to college, went to university to get my accounting degree, came back to the Chicago area, uh, found a job at Craig Kaiser. They just kind of, I, I fell into their arms, if you will. I was looking for a mid-sized firm. I had an offer from Arthur Anderson out in San Diego. I had Anderson in Chicago. And I said, I want to be a big fish in a smaller pond. That's where I wanted to sit. Never thinking 35 years later, I'd be at the same 
firm and now the managing partner. But those experiences kind of, you know, um, elevated me through the years. And I guess getting back to, you know, what, what, what are the core competencies that I think I've had during my lifetime? My dad always told me to stay curious, always ask questions and always have a voice. And I think the voice and the curiosity um, for me, um, again, loud Italian family, if you didn't speak up, you weren't heard. So it was, you know, it was, it was a fight within the household to be heard because we had seven people in a very tiny home growing up. And I think even at Craig Kaiser, we had a very open door policy. All the partners that came before me, the founding partners, always had their door open. I was very well mentored in terms of feeling that it was a safe environment to share my thoughts, even though they said, no, Deanna, we can't do that now. And then six months later, I'd walk into their office and say, well, how about now? Can we do this now? So challenging folks, challenging leaders, staying curious, remembering you have a voice. Um, And lastly, I'll just say, on this topic. I'm a huge Brene Brown and Simon Sinek fan, and they talk about vulnerability and leadership. And I and, and, and the vulnerability piece, and Rob, you mentioned it before, what women have is that empathetic, um, vulnerable, passionate position in our, in our, in, inside of ourselves. We are, we are wired that way. Um, and so, and I'm not saying that others can't be wired that way, but we're humanized in that perspective. And, you know, I always try to use the full breath of this every day and it's my head, my ears, my voice, and my heart. And we, we can connect all of those things as leaders. We can be profoundly impactful to whomever we come in line with using all of those faculties. Sometimes the head gets ahead of the heart, the ears stop listening. Um, the voice gets too loud, but when we can use all of those faculties um, together, I think that's what makes us really different um, than other leaders in, in, in the way we in the way we lead. And, and one for all of you, just to circle back on this uh, idea of entitlement in men and luck. I threw it out there. Are there any thoughts on that, Lisa? You're not in there. Um, yeah, but I think it's changing. I really do. I, th- I think if you asked that question 30 years ago, it was real because men were entitled to the job and they were entitled to the golf club membership and women weren't. It was a point of fact. I think now things have just broken down. I really do. I'm not saying some people don't have a sense of entitlement, but I think lots of things in people's background can give them a sense of entitlement, not just well, not just their gender. I think there are many other things uh, that, that give people a sense of entitlement. But I do think things are changing on that sense. I, I really do. Um, I think it probably has held some females back over the years, but I really hope that that, that is coming a, a just not such an important factor now. Is ambition a dirty word, anybody? I asked the question because I mentioned this on a couple of previous panels. There's a, a new podcast by Meghan Markle. I'm sure you're all subscribed to it called, uh, called forget the name for a moment, Archetypes. She interviewed Serena Williams for her very first show. They grew up together in Los Angeles. They are the same age. And Serena Williams talked about how with her father, ambition wasn't a dirty word. But once she got out there, particularly talking to the other people in the sporting world, ambition wasn't a cool word, particularly for a woman. It wasn't a trait that was desirable. So she had to battle against that to put herself forward and be assertive, not aggressive, to push herself forward. Can any of you relate to that? I I can, just in terms of the growings up that I had um, here at the firm. And I was called a lot of things, probably still am, Um, bold, brassy, um, ambition was there too. Um, but I think and it wasn't complimentary, Diana, was it in that respect? Not always. And, but I always took it as complimentary. I figured I'm only going to listen to the things that really enhance what I'm doing. And when I'm delivering, 
And Lisa said it before, when you're delivering in, in her, you know, crafting of her career, when you're delivering on solutions, when you're delivering as a human, regardless of what background and who you are, if you're delivering, you become far more authentic. And then the, the delivery of your purpose, the delivery of your message, um, and staying, again, true to yourself, and that sounds kind of cheesy, but it, it, it has to stay for everybody. Just don't lose who you are inside, because there's always going to be people that are going to talk, you know, about you in whatever way it is. But, you know, you can't control them. You can only control how you react to them. And I live by that, because so I can't control, if I could control everybody else, I'd have an island in the ocean somewhere. But, you know, thank goodness we cannot. And I think those, those negative words, it's really how you absorb them and how you think of yourself and how you deliver on the solutions for whomever it is, your community, your family, your friends, your, your career that can turn that around. And so um, it's really how I just perceived those words. I didn't never let them. I mean, were there moments in time I, you know, I was hurt or whatever? Of course there were, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to show them. Like really my behaviors are going to show them exactly where and who I am. And that will clear the air on if I'm too bold or brassy or ambitious or whatever the negative connotations that those might Can I make a comment? I just agree with everything, uh, Deanna, you say. I tell you the word that does irritate me immensely. So I'm, I'm the youngest of piles of brothers, okay? I'm the most competent, obviously, sibling, as I tell them. But anyway, they will say, uh, we, I, I love them dearly and we get on very, very well. But they will say, what gives you the right to be so bossy? So it's a funny word you use because I would say I'm competent. When would you ever call a man bossy? When have you ever heard a man referred to as bossy? Why is it when a female comes in the room, whether it be my brothers, and I say, right, we're not doing it like that. It's bossy. When they do it, it's called assertive or it's called competent. And I have never heard a man, and I'd love one of you to give me an example of when a man has been called bossy. It's dual standards, isn't it? Let's stay with you, Lisa. I'd like to talk about culture because you, you mentioned the word control there, Deanna. And that you don't have too much control and we don't over what people think, but we are as leaders responsible for shaping culture and setting examples. And it's it's harder to do in a remote world that we find ourselves in now. But Lisa, what are your thoughts on what works for leaders in setting a culture that is more diverse and inclusive? Um, well, I think in any culture, whatever you're trying to achieve, you have to communicate to start with. You have to communicate what you're trying to achieve. Uh, if it is diversity or inclusion, and you talked about how the terminology is changing, as it is in many, many areas, communicate what it means to your organisation. What, what, what does that mean to you and what are you trying to do around it? So I think that that's a clear thing. And then your actions have to have to match up to those words. Uh, I once uh, had a hideous um, experience. It was not with the organisation I'm with now. It was about uh, well, many, many years ago where I was going to be interviewed, as I'm sure you're all rolled out for International Women's Day, are you? Yes. Uh, and, and ask sorts of questions. And um, and so I asked some firms, um, could you tell me um, sort of what, what, what you're doing around this issue? And one of the managing partners said, we're all over it. All, all, we're all over it. I said, that is marvellous. What sort of things are you doing? I don't know. You'll have to ask marketing. So I thought, wow. So you've communicated you're all over it, but your actions, it, it just lacked any credibility. So so say what you're going to communicate, Rob, uh, be specific about what you're going to do and, and, and measure to it. You know, tell people what you've achieved. But make sure your actions meet what your words say um, and, and be agile around all this stuff. You know, when you get it wrong, say you got it wrong. Maureen, what works for you in setting a, the right culture of diversity and inclusion? I, I'm going to kind of go back to that flexibility piece a little bit um, and just trying to uh, mirror to my team. Right, right now I lead a team and I'm the only uh, mother of small children on my team. 
Um, but we have people kind of coming into that age where that might be in their future sometime soon. So I try to create an environment where I, I will say like, listen, I have to leave like at two or I have to get off this call because I have to go pick up my kids or my four-year-old came running into the room the other day with a thing of paint. And I was like, oh gosh, this seems dangerous. I gotta go. Um, so just trying to, to lead through example with that saying like, this job is great. I love it. Um, I'm passionate about it, but those guys out there, those are the most important ones. Um, or, you know, I was emailing because sometimes my breaks are throughout the day, I email late and my coworker emailed me back and I said, listen, stop working. Like uh, this is, uh, this is when I can email me, but it's after your work hours, please stop working. So that's something I, I just try to do is, is show, show them how it could be done. If they're sitting in the position where they're going this career, because there is a bit of travel involved and things like that, this career might not be for me once I have a family kind of just giving them the space to imagine how it could work for them. If, if I just add to that, Maureen, because I, 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 um, it's one of the things I did wrong earlier on um, in, in my time with, with young children. I had, I had three, three young kids, sort of under, under six at the time. Um, and one of our members of staff, who, who was fantastic, looked at a bit, it's really good. She had two young kids. And um, she suddenly came in with that dreaded letter um, and she was she was leaving, and one spoke to her. And she said, "Well, like, I mean, I felt terribly sorry for her." She said, "I just can't cope working with with two young children." She said, "And I can see you." And then she named some others in our business who've got young kids as well. And you all manage absolutely. You, you're all so over it, managing really well. And I I I'm not, and and so I I can't do it. And it was a real lesson to me. And actually, it, what she didn't know was that we were all we were all shouldering all the same pressures that she was, but we weren't showing them. And so she saw she saw the mirage that we were presenting and not the reality. And so at that point, I stopped and and I shared I shared everything and and, and well not quite everything because no one would believe it. But you know I, I I shared enough so that people because you are right for for people to believe they can do that they have to see how it can be done and and everyone will do it in a different way but they need to see that you can carve your own way out. That's really really important. Of our, of our role, I think. And there's a thing coming through, obviously, motherhood is different to fatherhood. I'm the father of two daughters, um, but it, it, it takes a huge amount of energy to bring up children and forge a career. We know that. We hear of terms like quiet quitting and people desubscribing, unsubscribing to the hustle culture, that idea of discretionary effort. I'm not going to bust a gut to get on. I've got work-life balance. I've got children. I've got other things. I've got my own mental health to consider. And I guess... Deanna, for you in shaping a culture, it's embracing the whole person and not just the job aspect they bring to the table. Yeah, I think the the, the key thing while we identify our core values and, and, and behavior, I think, has been mentioned already. You can put words on a wall, you can put words in your website, you can put words everywhere, but it is the ultimate behaviors of people that really speak your message. And the communication piece, huge. The underscore of all of this is, is staff having or your people having a safe environment for which they can communicate because communication doesn't happen if they don't have trust and feel like they're safe. Um, example here, a uh, recent example to follow up on what Caroline just said was I've, I've actually ripped up four resumes in the last 18 months and the people are still here because they love what they do. They love the people that they're working with. They love the clients that they're working for. And they didn't think that they could do it here. And I said, I would rather create a position for you here. Not creating, but let's just augment. Let's, let's recreate. Let's re-innovate your position. I'd rather have 1,500 hours of you a year than zero. And you're going to go to another firm 
who doesn't know your value, who doesn't know your style, who doesn't know all the things that we know about you. And you've already said you love where you work. You love what you do. You love the clients. It's just the schedule, this rigorous schedule of public accounting that people don't see themselves in because of that rigor. And then two of these four people were tax people. They're now, they're, they're now in different lanes. They're now doing different things. And I said, is it something that didn't make you feel safe to come and talk to me about this? Because a lot of people see me today and who I am and the rigor that I have with what I do, but I've raised a 24 and 28 year old daughters that are kicking butt and taking names out there. They're well contributing humans of the, of, of the society. And so they didn't see me struggle. They didn't see what I had to do. They didn't see me be imperfect. And they see me doing what I do now because I can put it all in there. Um, dog and husband at home that still need care and love, but I'm free from all of those other things. At the same time, though, they need to understand that there's a safe place for them to have these conversations. And we've been kind of telling those stories out and people are seeing this in our firm that the firm is getting, not is, we've been flexible, but they need to feel safe that they can come in with their requests before they come in with their resignation letter. So again, that safe environment is huge. You said that you ripped up resumes. You meant you ripped up resignation letters, didn't you? Is that? Oh, resignation letters. Yes, part. Yes. Yes. No, resumes keep coming, but no, the resignation letters. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. And, and there and these and and 404. I'm I'm four for four right now. You know, uh, the odds are with me until they're not, right? But it's really important that we create that uh, opportunity. It's gonna take us firms more people to perhaps do the same body of work, but boy, what great work we will do together if we are all there for the right reasons, right? That they're not quietly resigning or they're not quietly disengaging, that they feel, and, and, and these moments in time for people are just that they need this flexibility perhaps for this moment in time as you're raising two to six, you know, two to 18 year old kids, you know, you need that flexibility. Then there's a time where, but you don't want to be behind and especially women, they will take a, lesser position and change their role for their family. And why should they stop learning and growing and having those opportunities um, just because they need to raise their children too? They should still have those. It's just going to look a little different. And we've got to be open to that. Any final thoughts on culture before we go to closing remarks? Yeah, I, I just want to pick up, if, if you don't mind, something about what we're talking about, the whole parent parenthood thing. So, um, and I think there's so many issues around it. So I, I worked for a Swedish company for many years, for seven years, about 20 years ago. And when I was there, um, the concept of paternity leave was very well established. It was equal to maternity leave. And my Swedish and, and Danish colleagues really couldn't understand this conversation. So it would be as typical for a dad to take 12 months paternity leave as a mum. No one frowned upon it. I mean, why should it be, Rob, that if you worked in a large accounting firm, you couldn't say at three o'clock, I got to go, I'm going to pick my daughter up from um, grandma's or, or from sports fixture. And, and the truth is that there's a there's a stereotyping both ways, because I think if a lot of men stood up, young, a young let's imagine a young man stood up and said, I'm, I pick up the kids on a Thursday. There are some women there would go, really? God, you're not very serious. So, so that, that frustrates me. And I also think this whole caring thing as well, as people live older, people have sandwich caring. I, I had an elderly mother. She's as important or she was as important to me as anyone else in my family. Um, and I think, and, and men have elderly parents as well, you know, and I think you should allow everyone to do what their obligations are. I mean, dad, dad's a parent. Um, I, I agree totally that, that it, I mean, I, I didn't want to, to um, comment when Rob said, but 
I mean, parenting is tough, whether you're a mum or a dad, it's it's tough. And then when you, like you say, you, you get to that point where you've got teenagers and elderly parents, and that's really tough, um, and you, you're really squeezed. And it is it is the same, regardless of whether you're mum or dad in that place. And 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 hopefully, I mean, hopefully, if, if there was any good came out of the whole lockdown and remote working was that, that dads, Dad saw what was going on at home and 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 they're now more more current with it. I certainly couldn't do what I was doing without having an incredibly supportive husband at home. Um and 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 I see it, we're a partnership. It's not that I, you know, I I I wouldn't have it, I'm the breadwinner and he's the housekeeper. It's not. We're we're a partnership that together function in our life, which involves work and, and home. 150% agree. 150% agree. My husband was a stay-at-home dad for six years. And in our neighborhood, everybody looked at him like, this is so strange. And interestingly enough, these folks became our best friends. We've been living there for 20 plus years. And now I'm helping those women get jobs in other in, in other areas because they're empty nesters. They have lots to contribute. They have MBAs, highly educated women. Um, and, and, and it's just interesting how things evolve, right? So he took, we had to decide because I became a partner here at the firm. And I said, we both keep, can't keep doing this. He owned a business. We sold his business. We were planning to sell his business anyways. And I said, you know, and he was like, sure, two girls, you know, three years old and six years old at the time. Sure. I'll stay home for the next six years. So he did. So, you know, every household partnership, marriage, raising wonderful humans, it is something we as business owners as leaders in our organizations have to remember those things that we went through and we needed a village of people to help us that we need to be their village. You know, us as employers have to be their village and understand. And sometimes I walk down the hallways at, at six o'clock or whatever in the summer, I'm like, get out, like, get out of here, like go home. You know, I mean, what you are doing now can wait for till tomorrow. I mean, you have to, you have to be able to break away. You know, are you coaching your kid's soccer team this fall? Are you coaching your son's baseball team this spring? You know, I want to make sure that they feel that they can because um, the work's always going to be here. It's great to touch on parenthood. We haven't done it really before in any of the other panels, but as we're all parents, then it's wonderful to discuss it. Let's uh, land this plane for one of a better cliche, ladies, if I can call you that. I, I don't call you women or superstars or anything else because I'll get into so much trouble. Who knows what to call who these days? But uh, let's get a closing remarks. And uh, let's go with you first on this, Caroline. Let's address the accounting professionals out there and, and indeed the fintech ecosystem that surrounds them and serves them. And anyone else that's listening, tips for leaders or tips for people out there, maybe men or women that just want to get recognized in this crazy world. What would you say to okay, them? So I I think the words come up a few times in this talk, but curiosity, remain curious, probing and asking would, would be a tip in, in any any field, whether that's accountancy or not. Um, I think empathy is really important. It's not a sign of weakness to think about others as you make decisions. Um, so that's really important. And I think my final point is it, it might sound a bit glib and I don't mean to, but don't take things too seriously or too personally. Keep some perspective. So, I mean, you refer to you don't know how to address us and and I've heard that in, in sort of other other um, avenues where people sort of take an offence by by being referred to as guys in a room or by someone opening the door for you. It's not you know it, it's not meant in, meant as an insult and don't take it as an insult and and just keep keep perspective and and keep enjoying yourself. 
It's difficult for us guys, Caroline. We're a minority group now as white, Christian, middle-class, straight guys. Who's like us anymore? Do we open doors for a women? <laughs> no, we don't know what to do. So I'm, I'm tongue-in-cheek, obviously, but you're right, Caroline. It is a different world, and uh, we've all got our role to play. Thank you for that. Deanna, closing thoughts from you, top tips for building a career in this crazy world. Yeah, the curiosity, I think, is just centered to everything that I've done and centered to how I actually evaluate other leaders, other staff, other staff I see as leaders in our organization. Also, reminding yourself you're smarter than you know um, and staying true to your internal voice. If things don't feel right, sound right, or whatever, use that voice. Um, so curiosity, you're smarter than you really know. And staying true to your internal voice, I think, are, are the tips that I would have to share. Thank you very much. Maureen, final thoughts from you. Oh, I, kind of along the lines of the curiosity, just staying a lifelong learner, um, but also realizing that you're not just looking upwards to learn. Our teams have so much that we can learn from, especially as these younger generations keep coming in. Um, don't ever think that you're above learning from anybody that works for your organization or anybody that you meet. Um, leading with authenticity and also don't make assumptions, but and also don't allow people to make assumptions about you. Um, this is kind of something when we were talking about ambition, when I first, when the first executive director role that I took came available, I was pregnant and I had a two-year-old and I said, hey, I'm interested in this role. And I was, they went, oh, we, you know, you have two, we didn't think you would be. Well, first of all, if a man's wife was pregnant and he had a small child, nobody would assume that he wasn't interested in the position. That just wouldn't happen. Um, and so, yeah, don't allow those assumptions to make be made about you but in turn don't make them about other people that speaks to prejudice there's intentional prejudice where you uh, deliberately skew your thinking in the wrong way but there's unintentional prejudice where you just don't think you don't you assume all the wrong things so it's a really good point maureen goodness so many great things coming out here lisa what career tips have you got for our listeners uh, career tips are i mean i think what everyone said is brilliant believe in yourself improve yourself but most importantly only align yourself with people, whether that be friends, whether that be uh, businesses or clients who share your values. Uh, because ultimately, if you don't have a shared value system, you will not work well together. Um, and if it starts to feel wrong, get out. Um, and just a top tip to everybody, whether you're a leader or, or someone at the beginning of your career or whatever sex you are, open more doors this year than you did last year, right? Both literally and figuratively. Because I tell you what, if we all just were kinder, right, and just opened a door because it's a nice thing to do, Rob, next time I see you, I'm going to open the door for you and all, all the people on this call because it's just a nice thing to do. And uh, I think we just make the world a better place. Amen to that. I, I love that, Lisa. And uh, a little bit of kindness goes a long way for sure. I, I just want to finish with a quick fire round because we've got a couple of minutes here, ladies. The theme of learning and curiosity has come out quite strongly here. It's a quote by Martin Rutter that says, you've got to do it by yourself, but you can't do it alone. And our progress to the top and staying there, staying current, staying relevant, setting an example is really important. But we've had a helping hand along the way, whether it be through knowledge sources we've gone to or people that have helped us. So I'm just going to go around. I'll start with you, Maureen, on this. Where do you go to for information? Where do you go to to upscale and broaden your knowledge quickly? Oh, um, you know, that's that's kind of where I go to um, a, a female mentor that I have. Um, it, it depends, of course, what kind of knowledge we're looking for. Um, but yeah, um, I have someone that I, I have a close network with that's really given me a lot of solid advice going forward. Um, and that's where I go to for like kind of where I should take individual situations. A sense check, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, for me, again, as not an accountant by trade, 
every meeting that I go to and sit in with members, that's a learning experience for me. So, you know, my job is to have my, my ear to the floor and listening to things and really keeping up on what's going on. So my, my members are just, just a vast uh, source of knowledge for me. Lisa, where do you go to for information? Um, I mean, there's such a wide range of sources, but something I've learned is I think, well, maybe I, uh, and people have a propensity to go to people that are like them and come their echo chamber and reinforce everything they said because you feel great. Um, I think you learn a whole lot more if you speak to people who are not necessarily like you, whatever that means, whether that be age or gender or anything, go and ask them because uh, you will get a different view. And you may not always agree with everything you hear, but I think you'll get more takeaways by talking to people who have a different experience to you. That's a lovely thought. A pastor at my church recently said, God puts people in your life that are like sandpaper. They just rub you up the wrong way and they agitate you and they disturb you and they make you feel lousy. But God's trying to teach you something, even if it's just patience. So I applaud that. And that's a diversity approach, isn't it, Lisa? Not getting around people that think like you. Deanna, where do you go to to expand your brain and your thinking? Yeah, I, I mentioned before, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown and Simon Sinek. They're leadership organizational psychologists of sorts. And so when I have time to read the non-technical you know, technical work that we have to do here, I go to them quite a bit. And I also think for myself, I do a daily devotion in the morning. I get up every morning and I quietly um, just think about my day. Who am I going to be with? How am I going to impact them? How are they? How am I going to allow them to impact me? And also making sure we have gratitude as a big part of our day, not just to say thank you, thank you, thank you, but thank you for what? Thank you because I saw you do this. Thank you for your behavior on that. And so I think if the actions, if you become this actionable um, a behavioral influencer, um, I think that that can also be a huge part of our day to feel that we've done something really great, right? As, as just humans, right? So um, I do a lot of podcasting when I'm walking my dog. That's my time to kind of just, you know, think about things. My husband's always like, what do you listen to? I'm like, well, I, I got a podcast. We're walking together, but I'm on a podcast right now. So it doesn't work well for our communication, but sometimes I, I pull up these podcasts. But again, gratitude, daily devotions, just getting centered for my day. Um, I think is just a very good sense of who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing and, and making sure we have a layer of gratitude every day. Caroline, what about you? Well, I, think, I think the question about who do you go to for information is, is huge, isn't it? Because it, 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 it's what Lisa said about a huge pool of people and people from all sorts of, of environments that aren't part of your firm and, and, and too, too many to think of one. Um, I, find, I find my husband a very, very useful and helpful sort of um, sense checker. Of, of of where I am and 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 he knows me well enough to, to say you're barking mad don't do that you're an idiot so so um so that does help a lot but I think I think where I get my inspiration and where I get energized from is is talking to to our younger team members and and and, and those people with that energy I'm not saying that everyone of my generation is 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 world weary and weary and, and battered out but I think getting that sense of of excitement um, of their careers and, and, and what can I do in my position to it to allow them to enable their 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 thoughts and their plans so that's where I go for my my energy and my um, inspiration for the day that's great shout out to the future generation that's wonderful thank you so much all of you too for your candid thoughts today and your inspiration and your insights we've had a wonderful discussion and uh, we appreciate you giving up your valuable time in not just paving the way or blazing a trail or emotive words like that, but just setting a good example for women leaders that there's many different paths, many different ways to do it, many different ways to the top and many different ways to lead and they're all valid in this crazy world. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Sponsored by Dext.